Hi guys and welcome into this week's episode of the Rugby Player Podcast. I'm your host Harry Benno. This week I spoke to Sean McNulty from the New England Free Jacks. We discussed everything from his unique pathway into rugby to the expectations of a sporting franchise within the Boston community. Hope you enjoy the episode. Hey, Here he is. How are you? Good brother, how are you? Yeah, keeping really well mate, really, really well. Unreal. Where are you at the moment? Uh, up in Boston, so up in the house in Boston, yeah, so um, just a little, little training day today, so just chilling out now this evening. Happy days, who are you living <clears> with? I'm actually in a 10 bedroom house, so there's 10 of us here, yeah, so. Um, mate, that's basi- not a house, that's a dorm. It's basically, yeah, it's a, it's a frat house on a, on a university campus near enough our pitch, so it's actually pretty sweet, it's a great setup, yeah, I love yeah, it. Yeah, right. That's all good. Is that um? Is that the same house that you guys got escorted out of for the fire situation a couple? Of yeah, ago? yeah, mate, yeah. So that was me. Uh, that was my first cook in the house, and uh, yeah, I actually haven't cooked since. Um, big Uber Eats guy since then. So. Oh my god! Tell us, tell us that story for the listeners that don't know what's going on. <laughs> yeah. So, um, like I said, yeah, in in this kind of ten bedroom frat house uh, type place. And yeah, my first week or two, um, got a couple of steaks, uh, threw them on, kind of the, I think the heat was a bit too high. Uh, next thing I knew, the whole kitchen was kind of smoked out. Alarms going off everywhere. We got just opening the front door to kind of let some air in. And before we know it, there's like two full fire engine trucks, like eight or nine firemen with like axes, masks on, uh, a police car, like every, the, the, the full works came up. And uh, yeah, it was pretty embarrassing to tell him it was just a burnt steak. There's nothing too crazy going on. But uh, yeah, that no, was all a bit of fun. That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, typically, it was a good one. Typically something you'd picture from a sorority house, not really I know, a frat I know. house. Not, 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 not the men's rugby house, I know, I know. Oh, that's um, too yeah, good. Yeah, not my proudest moment, eh? but yeah. uh, it was all so good. So are you all the, all the rugby boys um, in the house? Yeah, yeah, it's all rugby boys. So there's there's 10 of us here. Then there's uh, three or four in another house, four in another house. So I'm just, I'm in the good I, I actually really enjoy it that's awesome mate i mean yeah sweet no better way to sort of get together and bond outside of rugby i mean it's pretty typical for yeah. any um set up like this to have these rugby houses so all good yeah 100 and yeah it's on a university campus as well so we get we get to use like the canteens we get feed uh get a few feeds in there just pool tables and ping pong tables all that stuff so it's actually there's a bit going around the house as well which is quite nice and obviously with great 10 lads, setup. Always, yeah it's pretty sweet and obviously with 10 lads in the house there's always someone to to do something with so it's, yeah it's good awesome mate well yeah. um i guess for the guys that or the people that don't know who i'm speaking to right now sean mcnulty um starting hooker for the new england free jacks mate yeah. um pretty impressive resume you've got here from your um age grade endeavors yeah. but yeah. i'll um i'll throw over to you and maybe just give us a bit, bit of a background on your playing career yeah um so not really the typical um, Irish rugby player uh, kind of uh, childhood. Um, I actually moved to Rye, New York uh, when I was about six months old. So I actually grew up the American kind of childhood, played a lot of ice hockey, uh, stuff like that. And then when I was like 10 or 11, uh, my, my family actually moved to Bahrain, tiny little island in the Arabian Gulf. And that's actually where I picked up my first rugby ball at, uh, I think it was 11 or 12. That's incredible. Um, yeah, so yeah, a bit of a wild one. So Bahrain Rugby Club, um, when I was 11 years old, I I went to school there for about a year and a half and then I went to boarding school then in uh, Rockwell College. It's one of like the, 
top rugby schools in, in Ireland, yeah. um, except that, down in Munster. So I suppose that's where the rugby kind of took off, I guess. Um, did my six years there, played like for the first 15, for two years, like won a school's cup. That's when I started kind of getting picked up then. Played like Munster underage, Ireland underage, like 19s, 20s, uh, stuff like that. And then um, went up to UCD, University College Dublin, um, for college and then moved over to Leinster. A um, couple of years in the Leinster Academy, um, Irish 20, stuff like that. And then, yeah, made my way to the Free Jacks last year. Had a nice little stint with you down in New York as well with Rooney. And then uh, back to the Free Jacks now, yeah, so... There we go. Um, well, mate, yeah, well, well traveled. Yeah, roads less traveled to get to that point. That's yeah, for sure. For, for sure. For sure. Yeah, yeah. No, but it's been a fun, exciting journey. Anyway, um, love experience, I suppose, from different cultures and whatnot. But now it's been it's been all good. No, completely. So, when you were at boarding school, were your parents still living on the island per se, or? Yeah, yeah. So my parents lived there. Um... How far away was boarding school then? Uh, seven hour flight, I guess. Yeah, so Bahrain is out next to Dubai, and I was going to school in in Tipperary in Ireland. So, um, it's only really getting back to Bahrain, you know, the the Halloween, the Christmas, March midterm, all that stuff. Um, yeah, about a seven hour flight into the Middle East, but I I had a ton of family in Ireland at the time, so we got long weekends going down to the grandparents' house, stuff like that, and then in fourth year in school, which is probably like. 10th grade maybe so I had two years left in school my parents moved back to Ireland then so um, yeah most of my school years uh, were, were boarding my parents in Bahrain yeah yeah right and I guess yeah I suppose now you're no no stranger to living abroad then or living away from family you've basically done it your entire life yeah pretty much I, I was 11 when I started boarding school so uh, definitely teaches you to grow up quite quickly and uh, get used to that's it. for sure uh, but my bro yeah, my brother was there as well. He was two years ahead of me in school, which obviously made it a lot easier and stuff. But, and, uh, probably, oh, and probably harder at the same time as well. Bit of hazing, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, his his mates definitely uh, gave me a hard time every now and again. But that was all good. All part of growing up, isn't it? Exactly. It made you the uh, rugby player you are today, probably. Yeah, potentially. Yeah, definitely. So, mate, um, obviously through the age grade representative footy, um, was that always a goal yeah. of yours? Um, and what do you what do you uh, guess you, you attribute to your success at such a young age? Um, honestly, no. Professional rugby really wasn't on my radar in school. I guess because I was kind of late to playing rugby. And um, by the time I got to boarding school, Joe, my mates have been playing whatever eight nine years, and I, I was only just picking it up. So it wasn't actually till like my final year or two in school I was good. I guess I started on the first fifteen, and then I didn't get a contract out of school, so. I was like, look, I'll just be, you know, university student, go up and play club rugby up in Dublin. Um, did that, really, really enjoyed it. And um, then got picked up for the Irish 20s, uh, a year underage. Um, did that. And then I suppose when that happened, I kind of started thinking, look, this is a, something I could probably kick on with. And then because I was obviously based in Dublin for college, um, that's where Leinster um, kind of came into the picture as opposed to Munster. And then, yeah, so it was only actually till I was probably 19 that um, – I was really like, okay, this this professional rugby thing could be for me. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's a pretty big transition then because not getting a contract out of school, obviously there's a lot of guys that yeah. do get contracts straight out of school and their pathways almost inevitable in terms of, you know, academy, age grade staff into a full-time yeah, professional 100%. gig. So then for you to get selected into the national team at 19 but not be contracted like what do you put your yeah. to there because clearly there was guys ahead of you at that time yeah for sure um yeah when i went to ucd um 
it's got it's a really really good uh good rugby program there. Um, even on like the under twenties team, I was playing with, you know, seven or eight of those lads were playing in the Irish twenties that year. So I was playing with a lot of really really good players. Um, obviously coming from Rockwell, I had a, a fair bit of rugby in my in my short time. So I was I was decent, yeah. Um, it was definitely a surprise to get called in. I remember uh, I was at a mate's house watching the uh, the twenties play the night before. Had a couple of beers. Uh, woke up actually quite hungover the next day. Two missed calls on my phone. Rang them back. It was actually the Irish twenties manager. That's how I was getting my call up. So <laughs> that was a pretty that, funny one. That's but, uh, always how it happens. Yeah, I, yeah. I feel like it is. Eh? There's always a story like that. But um, yeah, so I got the call in. That was on a Sunday morning. I went into camp the next day. So it all happened pretty quickly, I suppose. Yeah, right. And who are the names that were sort of around that squad? Are there any guys that have sort of kicked on? Um, oh, yeah. So on my my two years of 20s, I would have played with um, who's our national team now. So like Andrew Porter, Joey Carberry, Gary Ringrose, uh, Jacob Stockdale. Um, then like in the likes of Leinster, you have Ross Maloney, Ross Byrne. Peter Dooley, uh, Dan Levy, the, like the names go on, yeah. and on and on. Um, yeah, that's pretty pretty unreal, to be honest. Fairly stacked roster there. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, no, it was cool, all right. Yeah. And then off the back of that, Leinster Academy. Um, How did you enjoy your time yes. there? That's a pretty prestigious environment to go into. Yeah, 100%. Uh, so the way it works in Leinster is you do one year in what they call the sub-academy. So it's almost like a, an apprenticeship. It's It's not paid. It's seven o'clock in the morning kind of real kind of hard graft i suppose um so i did that for a year after the 20s and then of that group of maybe 15 lads uh, about seven got academy contracts which i was lucky enough to get one um so i went into the leinster academy then for was it three years um and yeah like it was it was unbelievable like at the time or even at the time now arguably one of the best and most successful clubs in the world. So just oh, the amount of knowledge in the room that you're kind of training with and stuff is just, yeah, it's, it's incredible. How much access did you have to the top players um, in and around the... Um, more in, in my first year in the academy, it was... You're obviously, you're, you're crossing paths in the hallway every day. But in my first year, it was we were a bit separated. So you had kind of academy skill sessions and whatnot. And then towards the back end of the year, you get filtered into like senior training sessions. But uh, for all of second and third year academy, it's it's more or less full time with the seniors. So, you know, I'm scrummaging against Keen Healy and Tyke Furlong and Sean Cronin and, you know, Irish internationals, British and Irish Lions, everything. And yeah, you're competing with those guys every day. So, yeah, it's an unbelievable experience. What was the learning curve for you then? Because obviously looking across the scrum and seeing those faces is, you know, realistically a pretty daunting experience first time around but um oh yeah uh yeah no 100 percent massive learnings um kind of coming out of school like like i said like pressure rugby wasn't already on my radar so to be thrown into the pitch with those lads two years or three years after graduating from high school is you know you're thrown into the deep end and you're expected to learn pretty quickly and um in my naivety and probably first year i would have thought that a hooker doesn't do a whole lot in the scrum and then i found out pretty quickly off a few of the senior lads that uh no, it's pretty important to have a that scrum. So uh, a couple of hard lessons, but uh, pretty invaluable as well. Yeah, sure. And were they um, pretty open to sort of helping you a little bit? Oh, yeah, massively. Um, Rickard Strauss, who uh, he was a South African guy, but he was Irish um, qualified, um, you know, won three Heineken Cups for Leinster, um, a handful or maybe 20-odd Irish caps, a couple of World Cups. Um, he was great. He, you know, he'd, he'd pull me aside after sessions and, you know, we do throwing stuff. Uh, even uh, Brian Byrne he's another hooker 
He's uh, he's actually just moved to Bristol last week, but just he, he's so so talented and he just always willing to give his time to me as well, which is um, which is huge as a, as a young guy who kind of um, is on the pitch with a bunch of his idols. Kind of it's 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 huge getting senior lads giving their time to help you out and kind of share a bit of the wealth of knowledge that they have, I guess. Yeah, hundred um, percent. Which leads yeah. me perfectly onto the next question. I guess hindsight's an amazing thing to have and. All of yeah, that. 100%. What would what would you be telling that twenty year old Sean McNulty today, um, knowing what you've learned over your career? Uh, biggest thing is just take the opportunities that are given to you. Um, and by that, like the opportunity, that doesn't mean like if you get selected for a match as an academy player. Um, every day that you get to train with the seniors is an opportunity, and you probably just when you're in the environment, maybe you don't really realize that the the coaches are watching everything you do and. Um, they could pick up on the small things as well. So just, I guess, live in the moment and and don't rule yourself out too too early. Um, I guess towards the end of my career, my academy career in Leinster, um, I might have got into my head a little bit early, thinking, oh look, you know, I'm not going to get a contract here, and I might have went into a rust for a little bit. So, um, yeah, never bleed before you're wounded. I guess there you go. Wise words, mate. There's one, yeah, there's one for you. Yeah. All those young listeners out there, take note. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then. Finally, what's what brought you over stateside with the Free Jacks? What was the opportunity there? Who did you speak to? Um, yeah, um, so a guy that you know quite well at this stage, Greg McWilliams, um, the Rooney head coach now. So I would have known him from obviously back home in Dublin. Um, he would have done a bit of work with the Leinster underage stuff and just a kind of prominent enough figure in the Dublin rugby scene. Um, so when he was in America, um, so I'm, I'm US qualified actually, sorry, I should have said that. Yes. So, I, I qualified to play for the US on 10-year residency. Um, so, yeah, after what in my final year in Leinster, the, the, the MLR was kind of taken off. Um, I think it was in the second year. Rooney was just announced. Um, all that stuff. So, at the time, obviously, having grown up in New York and then a, a new professional uh, team in New York now, I was kind of looking at that opportunity. Um, and then I was in New York for a summer, actually, after I left Leinster, um, went up, met Greg in Yale for a coffee. Um, as you know, Greg was the director of rugby at Yale University. Yeah. So went up, met him for a coffee, um, just threw a couple of ideas off him, heard what he had to say, what my opportunities potentially could be here, the pathway in America, all that stuff, because I guess it was all pretty new to me. I didn't really understand what was going on in the rugby circuit in America. Um, and yeah, he painted a couple of pictures to me, and then I think he passed on my um my my contact info to Alex Magaby, who's the CEO of the New England Free Jacks. And yeah, within within a couple of weeks, me and Mags were talking pretty regularly. Um yeah, I got signed up to the Free Jacks. My my parents actually moved back to Boston about two years ago as well. So obviously having them in Boston and the Free Jacks here and stuff as well, that was um, perfect fit. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was perfect it was a perfect fit. Yeah, pretty much. Um, great opportunity um, and yeah delighted absolutely delighted that I took it absolutely so how was how was that first summer in New York did it open your eyes a little bit yeah for sure I mean it was the first uh, the first time I didn't have to go back for preseason in about seven or eight summers because throughout the whole kind of underage process and then even in the academy so it was a bit it was a bit daunting actually um, I remember I, I went to New York originally with a couple of Leinster players and then so when they were going back to to Dublin for preseason, I was sticking on in New York. That was a bit of a, a shit time, I guess. Just kind of, you know, realizing that the, at at the time I was like, oh, the professional rugby dream is over. I was a bit kind of kicking myself, feeling sorry for myself. But 
you know, you kind of slowly realise, you know, you're not the first and you're not the last person to, to leave Leinster. So, um, yeah, you dust yourself off and look for new opportunities. And, yeah, delighted I did. Um, but, yeah, definitely had a lot of fun in New York for that summer while I while I had the time off, yeah. Where were you staying? Uh, so I stayed in Brooklyn for a bit. I just kind of bounced around. So my sister was living in New York for a bit. So I spent a month with her. And then, actually, another good pal of yours, Marcus Walsh, um, he was heading back to Dublin for um a couple of weeks so I, I stayed in his apartment and then when he was back another mate of ours paddy who lives actually in the apartment underneath marcus was gone away for six weeks and i, I stayed in his room then so it actually worked out pretty perfectly um yeah had an unbelievable summer so it was great it's yeah. it's funny how marcus's name always comes up when it always, it always seems to pop it's, up eh? yeah it's almost like he's the pipe pipe room the irish <laughs> hundred percent. Yeah. So no, no, he was very, very good to me for, for allowing me to stay there for a few weeks. Um, yeah. Had a whale of a time, as you could say. Absolutely. Um, well, let's, let's jump into MLR and the new England yeah, free jacks, mate. Um, obviously you did a quick little stint with Rooney last year. Um, yeah. Which was yeah. awesome to have you down here and then straight back up to Boston for their inaugural season. So yeah. How, how did preseason go and sort of the, the trials of being with a, a new franchise? Yeah, it was all good. Um, it was probably the shortest preseason I've ever had. I think we were only on the pitch for four and a half weeks before we played uh, our first kind of preseason warm-up game, which is kind of kind of new. But um, most of our lads were kind of playing club rugby back home throughout the fall or whatever. So everyone kind of came in somewhat fit, I guess. Um, and yeah, in our first week, we went on like a like a five-day camp up in the woods and near Dartmouth College up in uh, New Hampshire and all the kind of team bonding activities and getting to know each other. Um Joe, like we're a very, very diverse group. Um, we got boys from across the globe, Fiji, Tonga, Samoa, Japan, France, Australia, all that. So, um, yeah, gelling together was probably going to be the biggest thing. And, yeah, after those four days, it was like we've known each other years and kind of the old cliche, kind of brotherhood of rugby and all that stuff. And, uh, yeah, gelled pretty quickly. And then I suppose preseason led to week one in Vegas against you boys. So. Yeah, um, um, but before we jump into that game, obviously there's a bit to talk yeah. about. But yes, sir. On on that camp and sort of building culture from scratch um, within yeah. the team, like, what mm-hmm. do you think are the key points in terms of just getting that together? Because four days isn't really a long time to be able to to get that going. So yeah, yeah, you're you're right. Now four four days isn't a whole lot of time. Um, it was New Year's Eve, one of the nights. So I guess a couple of beers definitely helps break down a few barriers. Um, yeah. Uh, so that, that obviously helped and then we had a a couple of interesting things like uh, again our, our CEO Alex um, lives on a massive tree farm and uh, you know he's got massive trails and whatnot so we went went snowshoeing throughout his his property a couple of miles and I saw that old, that was in like yeah heavy snow as well yeah like like a couple of feet of snow and then we're carrying logs and cinder blocks and whatnot and you know, they're all kind of metaphors. The, the log is diversity and, you know, we're all carrying it together, sharing the load and, Brilliant. you know, we have all, all you know, all the, all the good stuff. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it, it sounds kind of cheesy talking about it, but it, it, it made a huge difference. And like you said, you get 30 strangers together who've never met each other and they have to form somewhat of a brotherhood in four weeks time. Um, yeah, definitely got us, got us going. Yeah. I think the other important thing to understand is there isn't an, an existing culture because it's a new team as well. Like, it's, it's, exactly. it's so easy for new players to come into an established brand or team that already has a culture determined for them. I mean, you look at 
another team in your neck of the woods, the Patriots, that have had that culture. Like any player that's going in there that buys into it's going to have success, right? But for you guys who are coming as a team from scratch and trying to create your own identity, like there's challenges involved in that. So yeah, hundred percent, and that's that's one of the things we talked about is that. Um... Joe, the big question is, what is a free jack? And, you know, that's kind of thing is we're, we're the first one. So we kind of, we define what a free jack is, you know, going forward. And we were the first, very first team. So we, you know, we installed the culture and how we want it to be going forward and whatnot. So, yeah, no, it was, it was a really cool experience. I've never, I've never been involved in a, a brand new team from scratch like that. So it's, it's all a learning curve, but uh, it's, it's really, really enjoyable. For the listeners that don't know, and obviously don't give too much away in terms of your your internal team identity, but what is yeah. a free jack? Uh, well, the idea of the free jack, it, uh, geez, I'm probably the wrong person to ask, but off the top of my head, it's uh, it kind of dates back to the old um, Revolutionary War in New England and all that, and Paul Revere riding the horse on the lantern and all that. And long story short, it's basically the uh, the rebels who fought the English and freed New England from the the Union Jack. So free Jack, freed from the Union Jack. That's a uh, that's where it came from. Um, gotcha. As as I'm aware. Yeah. yeah. Right. And is that that was ownership sort of coming up with that creation or? Yeah, yeah, I believe so. It kind of just ties into the roots of the area and um, and all that stuff. And yeah, and it's good. It's a it's a very passionate area, and I think the people are pretty proud of their history. So to kind of tie into the roots there. And I guess the Patriots um, of the NFL is kind of along the similar vibe, I guess. So, um, yeah, I think the for the local community, it's pretty pretty big for them as well. So, yeah, it's all good. And just on the local community as well, obviously that Boston area from a sporting perspective had a oh, yeah. lot of success. Um, you look for at sure. obviously the Patriots, the Red Sox, the Celtics, um, yeah. you know, you name it, they've won the title. So, yeah, was that something sure. that you guys were mindful of and just sort of making sure that you continue that legacy or creating your own or? Yeah, definitely about creating our own, but also um, buying into, I guess, what's expected of Boston sports teams. Um, they're, you know, unbelievably passionate and they're, you know, arguably the most passionate fans out there. And, you know, our, our coach is a real uh, diehard kind of born and bred Boston, Boston guy, um, Smithy. And, you know, he, he laid it out, um, nice and early for the, the lads who might not really be familiar with the, the Boston sports scene, just saying that, you know, they are very passionate and, you know, if you give them effort and everything, they, they'll really ride for you um, and really get behind you. Um, but at the same time, they expect, they expect winning teams at this stage. So there's a little bit of pressure there, I guess, but uh, uh, pressure is good, I guess. Um, something to fight for. Yeah. And do you think those new players, um, international guys have bought into that? Yeah. hundred percent. Um yeah, it's it's something that's kind of talked about um, quite a lot, and it's one of our pillars as well. Um, kind of one of our key pillars in the team. I won't go too much into it, but um, it does kind of tie back into the community and the roots and what's expected of kind of Boston, I suppose, um, sports teams. Yeah, awesome. And then, obviously, just off the back of that as well, you just had two Patriots um, buy into the, yeah. buy into the team as well. Um, yeah, very cool. That's that's awesome. I think they're the first sort of professional footballers to do that with an MLR team. Um, hopefully that trend continues, but yeah, it's very cool. So um, yeah, Patrick Chung, he's a safety for the Patriots and then Nate Ebner, who I guess in the rugby circle will be kind of well known. He, um, he went to the Rio Olympics with the U S sevens team yeah. um, while he was an active Patriot. Um, and yeah, I, I guess his connection to new England and Boston sports teams and, being a rugby guy as well. And I think him and Patrick are obviously very good friends. Um, 
yeah, saw an opportunity to invest and kind of become part of the ownership team here. And yeah, it's, it's, it's really, really cool. It's unbelievably, unbelievably exciting um, what they're going to bring to us. And we had, we had a little bit of a meeting with them uh, a few weeks ago and just, it was cool to see their insights um, from, you know, un- under the likes of Belichick and the kind of the Patriot way, as they call it, their culture. And hopefully we can kind of try and learn off them and, you know, build our own culture kind of around that whole winning environment. Yeah, were they um, were they fairly forward or open with the idea of, you know, their experience as professional athletes and obviously not rugby related, but just in terms of that culture and expectations around a successful franchise? Like, what did they share with you guys? Oh, yeah, massively. Um, you know, they were kind of painting the picture that, um, you know, you play for the community and, you know, the, the New England Patriots is almost the heart and soul of the community in Boston, New England area. And, you know, you play for the people outside the stadium is what they were saying. Um, and, it, yeah, it's, it's the fraternity, the brotherhood thing. They were talking about the, say, the Super Bowls. I think they both have three rings, but then they were involved in two losses potentially. And they were just saying that, in, obviously, in hindsight, um, the biggest difference was the kind of the culture and that brotherhood um, aspect between the winning and the losing teams, um, which is cool. And, you know, hopefully they're going to be um, somewhat hands on. We're going to see them a bit more during the season and hopefully just keep sharing those learnings. Eh? Yeah, that was that was definitely my next question. Like how much access yeah. do you guys have to them throughout the season and potentially other Patriots that they bring in on a one off basis, yeah. maybe? Yeah, um yeah, I mean, if we didn't get into a whole lot about that, um, obviously it'd be amazing if they could get down. I'm hoping um, they'd be at our first home game maybe in a few weeks. Uh, while they're in the off-season, I guess they have a bit of time. Um, but um, from what they said, they're both really, really excited, dead keen to get involved. So, um, yeah, they're, they're busy guys, but hopefully they can they can get down. I'm sure they'd enjoy it, and we'd obviously love that too. Um, yeah, it's just a, it's a really, really cool and exciting uh, partnership going forward, I guess. Yeah. Completely. Um, and one that everyone yeah. outside is definitely eager to, to pay attention to. And if it's a blueprint yeah, for, sure. for other franchises to sort of go that avenue, it's, it's, yeah, for sure. See, and, so. and, and just the fan base that, that kind of brings us as well. The, the NFL fan who might love Patrick Chung or Nate Ebner, but have never, you know, they wouldn't have even known the Freedex was a thing. And, you know, just off probably one of their Instagram posts, Joe, that could be another 200 fans or followers on Instagram, whatever that is, maybe for the Free Jacks and, it's all, I mean, yeah, like you said, we're a startup team trying to build our brand and, you know, they're two faces of one of the most popular NFL teams in the, in the, in the world. So can only bring good, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. So you guys have got your first home game in two weeks. Um, yes, sir. Everything that we've yeah, seen yeah. on social media so far is that you guys have already packed out the stadium, which is going to be awesome. Um, talk to us about the facilities there. It looks like Mags and the the administration staff have done a pretty awesome job in terms of setting up that, up that franchise. Oh yeah, for sure. Credit where credit's due. Um, our kind of backroom team and the, the business side of the free jacks have, have done unbelievably well. Um, you know, like I said, we're, we're a startup um, in a, in a pretty sports mad city um, where you might argue that there's no room for another sport, but you know, like I said, they love the context of so rugby kind of fits into Boston and yeah, the, uh, the, um, the operations team have done a pretty impressive job. I believe we have the second highest season ticket holders um, in the league after Seattle. Um, and that was before we would even set foot on the pitch. So that shows that, um, you know, the, the Boston um, and New England crowd or supporters are, are dead keen to get stuck in. Absolutely um, fanatical. Yeah. 
yeah, it's pretty cool. And then we, yeah, we were training down on the pitch today. The stands have gone up. So it, it used to just be kind of uh, just an astroturf in a in a sports complex, but they're building up, uh, you know, bleacher style seats and, and whatnot around the pitch. And I think it's, it's you know a couple thousand, um, which would be really cool. And it's all around the pitch as well. So hopefully, kind of has that surrounding kind of atmosphere feeling. Um, yeah, just really really excited. I'm really excited to get home. As you know yourself, the uh, the five or six away games in a row um, is kind of tough. So I, I bet you boys are the same, kind of looking forward to getting to a home game. Yeah, I mean, um, obviously a year into it now. So um, yeah, I wouldn't sure. say you get used to it, but there's certainly, um, I guess, a feeling of just get the points regardless of how it happens or whatever and just know that yeah, when you get your home games at the back end of the year, it's such a, such a big year. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. So hopefully build a bit of momentum and you're in a kind of a groove. And then I think we have seven out of our last home, uh, last games are at home, something like that. So that's obviously a real good opportunity to kind of push on and finish the season strong, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So obviously just on that then, um, how has it been for you guys on the road um, for the last four weeks? Uh, it's been it's been testing, obviously. Um, you know, when we got our schedule... Um, it's arguably the hardest opening to a season that any team could have had. Um, yeah. Joe, we're, we're a new team and we, uh, we're away to three out of last year's semi-finalists um, in the first five weeks. And then obviously Utah and NOLA as well are really, really good teams. Um, like yourself, we did the 10 days in Vegas, uh, came home for a couple of days, and then we did another 10-day road trip, did San Diego and Seattle back-to-back. Um, Where did you spend yeah, most you know, of your time on that trip? Uh, we did a week in San Diego and two nights in Seattle, so it was sweet. So yeah, could, could um, be worse. It could be a lot worse. Yeah, so uh, Pacific Beach isn't the worst place to be in in February. So um, yeah, no, it was great. It was it was it was cool. Like um, like I said, we're a pretty international team. A lot of lads, some have never even been to America before. So these away trips are obviously an unbelievable opportunity to go um, explore and see different uh, parts of America that we probably wouldn't get the chance to. And you know, spending. 20 out of 30 days of the month together um as, you, as much as you get sick of each other it's probably it's, it's really really good for kind of gelling and building those connections early on in the season as well so yeah um i just think beneficial for context as well for the travel that we're actually talking about here outside of super rugby where you probably have the potential to go to south africa one week new zealand yeah. argentina like most other professional leagues the travel's not that big yeah, for sure. Um, you've guys just done San Diego, Seattle, and then back across to the East Coast um, for a yeah. week. Like that's a, there's a lot of travel involved there. A hundred percent. We're probably a bit naive as well, um, kind of getting onto the flight to San Diego, and then it, it says on the the little TV in front of you that it's six and a half, nearly seven hours. Um, I don't think many people probably thought it was that long. I, I was saying it's quicker for me to fly back to Dublin. Um, so, yeah, it's interesting, and especially being in Vegas on the West Coast, flying back to Boston for four days and then back out to San Diego um, and then red-eyeing home after the Seattle match. Um, ah, it's all part of it. It's, it it's a cool experience, but it does it definitely does take a toll on you by the end of it, uh, I'm sure you know. Yeah, and it's something that you certainly appreciate um, for those Eastern uh, Conference teams at the back end of the season that get their home oh, games. Oh, 100%. 100%. So, um <clears throat> I guess, obviously, just touching on the diversity of your team, you've said, you know, a couple of Fijians, a couple of Kiwis, obviously, a few yeah. Irish boys. Like, how's that mix been? Oh, it's been great. Um, it's it's completely different to any team I've been on before. Um, when I was in Leinster, uh, 95% of the players grew up within, like, a 10-mile radius of each other. 
all went to the same two or three or four kind of rugby schools in the area. Leinster, born and bred. And then, you know, you have a handful of foreign boys thrown in on top of that. Whereas here, um, 13 or 14 international players. Um, so I guess diversity is almost a strength. A lot of lads coming from professional clubs around the world, um, just bringing a wealth of knowledge, um, whether that be from super rugby or international rugby or pro 14 or, um, yeah, just all across the globe. So it's it's, it's only a good thing having having that much experience and kind of knowledge in the squad. So it's been great. And, and just giving, I guess, different perspective as well. Like I'm sure that environment lends to new opportunities for you to develop your own game or learn something new from a different culture or a different playing style that guys can bring. Yeah, 100%. And um, yeah, we kind of talk about being a, like a player-led team and, you know, the, the floor is always open for people with ideas or viewpoints. And uh, yeah, just a lot of just good kind of healthy discussion on, all things rugby, I guess. <clears throat> Sorry. Um, yeah, like I said, we're just it's just a kind of a wealth of knowledge and just especially for the local boys, they could there's there's a foreign guy almost in every position. So the local guys can kind of pick their brains, you know, guys who played international rugby, all that stuff. So um yeah, just sharing the information and, and the knowledge is, is huge. Absolutely. And is that uh, typically happening um around a cup of coffee at one of the local shops, mate, or I'm sure you guys yeah, are big time. active seeking out those little spots yeah big time so uh have a nice little coffee club up and running so usually have the day off on wednesday or if we finish a little earlier like during the week um yeah a couple of the boys are pretty good at kind of sussing out the uh the old hipster kind of alternative coffee shops um there's not too many places doing a flat white around here so we've got to look pretty hard to get that uh, but no it's all good fun get out of the house uh, on the off days um yeah get a good coffee into some good chat and no, that's all good yeah, typically those coffee clubs start with a lot of venting from players around coaching yeah. or training yeah. or team dynamics yeah. and everything, and then it tends to just sort of figure itself out. So yeah, they're all sure. the same, aren't they? Oh, all the same, all the same. They're all yeah, they all are. But no, it's all good. It's all uh, it's all healthy. It's all it good to the team, I guess. Um, yeah, absolutely. I think one thing that I've learned from um, well, not so much learned, but just sort of it's been reinforced from these conversations um, with players across the league is the more time that you spend with each other on and off the field only improves um, that cohesion and that dynamic around the team. So hundred percent. Yeah. I think just, I think getting to know your players, um, your teammates on a personal level is so big. Like, you know, there's, there's only so much kind of rugby stuff um, you can do with them, but it's, it's important to know, you know, their siblings or how many you know people are in their family or what their interests and what they like to do just on the personal level and then that kind of builds the trust that you can kind of build on on the rugby pitch then as well um which has been great and that's been kind of the forefront since we got here is just getting to know everyone and who who within the squad sort of leading that stuff um so josh larson our skipper he's a big uh, coffee enthusiast um and then liam Steele, he uh, he's our, our center from from new zealand He's pretty on point with the coffee shops he finds. He's pretty particular about his flat white and his latte art and all, all that jazz. Um, he must have learned that so, from across the ditch, surely. I was going to say, yeah, you, you don't find that in Boston too often. So, yeah, no, he's a good Kiwi boy and loves a flat white. And then, yeah, there's a, there's a, um, there's a solid crew that kind of catch up over a coffee at least once a week. There's about, about eight of us, nearly 10 of us. So um, it's all good. It's, it's open invite for anyone who wants to come as well and spin a few yards. Awesome. And mate, I guess for you personally, what's the plans post-season over the summertime? Are you going to get some travel in or head back home? What's what's going on with you? 
yeah, for sure. Um, definitely going to get a bit of traveling. Um, kind of try and do that after every every season, try and get somewhere. Um, so I'm going to a... Have you ever heard of Rolling Loud Music Festival? No, I haven't. No, uh, it's, a roll, it's, a, it's a big festival in Miami every year, but it's on in Portugal in July. So me and a couple of the boys are going to go to that. Um, and then my brother and myself and two of our mates are going to Tonga in August, actually. Um, my brother's massive. and He's on the Irish Sevens team. Sorry, I should probably give him a shout-out, Harry McNulty. There you go. Um, yeah, get, plug him in there. But uh, no, nah, he's uh, when he's not kind of playing rugby, he, he does a lot of travel and content creation and photography and film and all that stuff. And uh, yeah, I think two months out of the year, uh, a massive kind of migration of humpback whales migrate to Tonga. So we're going on a little uh, a trip out there and he's going to take some shots and as in photography shots, sorry, not, not killing whales here. Mate, that's um, incredible. <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty cool. Yeah, pretty stoked about that. Um, so what are you doing? You're, just, you're going to be the, the mic guy. You're going to be holding all his equipment for him while he's doing it. I'm, yeah, I'm just tagging along and hopefully he takes a couple of nice shots for me from my Instagram. That's about it. Um, but no, I'm really, I'm really excited. He's been doing a lot of unbelievable trips over the last four or five years. And I've always kind of said, I'd love to go on one with them at least. And kind of when Tonga popped up, I said, you know, I'll clear the calendar and definitely make time for that. Um, it's kind of a once-in-a-lifetime thing. When, um, when is that? July, you said? Uh, first week in August. First yeah, so August. The, the plan is hopefully himself and the Irish Sevens boys qualify for the Olympics, Tokyo Olympics. And then um, I think they're going to Tonga the week after. So uh, meet, meet them out there. Yeah, no, looking forward to it. Man, that'll people. be a fantastic trip. Have you been to the Pacific Islands before? No, I haven't. Uh, my, my brother, again, he spent three weeks in Fiji two summers ago and just absolutely fell in love with the place. Um, and yeah, I think Tonga just came up an idea and he yeah jumped on it straight away. So no, it's, it's going to be incredible. I've already been looking up you know, obviously photos and whatnot. And it just, yeah, it looks like a pretty special place. So dead keen. And then, uh, yeah, maybe squeeze in a little trip with the girlfriend as well um, while I'm home. Getting that to plug her in there as well. Perfect segue. How's she been going? Yeah, she's good. Uh, yeah, she's good. She's she's back in Dublin in her final year in uh, studying law. So uh, she's coming over next week for the first home game and she came out uh, last month as well. So yeah, it's all going good. Coping with the long distance? Yeah, yeah, no, surprisingly, surprisingly well. Um, yeah, I guess just chatting all the time and yeah, have these trips booked um, to look forward to. So yeah, it's it's been, yeah, it's been all right. It's all good. Right, that's awesome. I think... Um... If you're off field's good, you're on field's good, right? So, hundred uh, percent. So important. Yeah, for sure. Um, <clears throat> what's the split then between the boys and the squad in terms of guys and relationships and guys seeking? Uh, it's pretty heavy in favour of guys in relationships. Yeah, there's not too many single boys floating around. Um, so Liam's again, Liam Seal, the coffee enthusiast, and uh, Bodie and Waka. Another Kiwi boy. They're probably the two most eligible bachelors. Um, so there's definitely the gender there for their coffee. Yeah, then. Yeah, I was gonna say. Yeah, there's there's more to it than just going for a coffee with the boys. They're, yeah. they're sussing out the spots. I'm sure. Um, in around Harvard and all the the Boston College and whatnot, trying to suss out all the oh, all the spots. So, of course, yeah, of course. So, uh, um, no, do I yeah. assume then that those two guys have been driving the social stuff then off the field as well? Yeah, Wax, uh, Boating Wax is a good boy for the social stuff. Um, yeah, I, I, again, I won't get into it too much, but yeah, he's a good, he's a good lad. And yeah, Liam as well. And yeah, they definitely like uh, like enjoying themselves. Good stuff. Well, mate, um, yeah. I guess obviously we've touched on the cultural dynamics um, 
of the free jacks and I guess the variety yeah. of different styles, different players and everything like that. Um, I guess one of the things, obviously the two Fijian boys being there as well, they've been absolutely shredding um, for you guys early on in the season. Yeah. Well. How, how are they coping with the climate? It must be a little bit different to back home for them. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's uh, It's been funny to kind of watch as they arrive when, when we showed up to Dartmouth and there's two feet of snow on the ground and we've got these snowshoes on and we're hiking up the mountain. Funny to see their face uh, the long way from the islands, but uh, ah, they've they've settled in unbelievably well, and you know they're two favourites in the squads. You know, absolutely just bubbly lads and absolute warriors on the pitch. But the two nicest boys you'll ever meet off it, um, which is which is great. And um, I'm gonna have to call over for a nice Cava session maybe soon, and uh, kind of see that that aspect of the Fijian life. Have um, Have you done that before? Uh, not this season with the, yeah, no, uh, so Pex, another Fijian boy who he's, he's lived in Boston and America for, for a couple of years. Um, did a bit of cavo with him last year. Yeah. yeah, it's a nice, it's a nice little kind of evening kind of spending time together. So, uh, yeah, definitely gonna have to get over to the lad's house and you know, have one of those nights in jam the guitar and all, all that stuff, you know? So good. Um, so then <clears throat> finally, um, Obviously, as you touched on earlier, pretty tough start to the season for you guys. Um, yeah. Off to a good start, week one, pulling our pants down, pretty, pretty good. Yeah. And then yeah. Um, yeah. hitting on the road for the next three weeks after that. Um, how do you guys see yourselves turning it around um, this weekend before heading home? Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, like you said, obviously, uh, good win against you boys, and then yeah, come up against three really strong teams in the road. Um, I guess not looking for excuses, but picked up a couple of key injuries against you boys, lost four or five lads um, a little earlier than we would like to. But, you know, it, we, we talk about kind of the next man up um, stuff. So the boys who slotted in did really, really well. And um, if you look at that, if you look at the tape, you know, a bounce of the ball um, our way, we probably would have won two out of those three games as well. We were right in it until, you know, the 70th minute or so. Mate, um, don't, so we're... don't talk to me about bouncing the ball when, it, when you get a midfield bomb and it comes off the crossbar, right? You off the crossbar, that's a, an 80-meter try off the crossbar, I know. Um, but, yeah, so, as the, you know, we're one in three, but um, we feel as a squad that, you know, uh, obviously the results didn't go our way but you know we're, we're showing a lot of good out there um, fix a couple of things make a few tweaks and just stick together I think is a big thing um, it's only week four uh, we face a bit of diversity but it's kind of how we how we deal with that and how we bounce back which is kind of going to define us and define our season so um, yeah it's next job you know we've got um, a tough match in NOLA away and then we're coming into our first home game um, so yeah it's just keeping keeping one eye on the next job I guess that's it, mate. Well, um, you know, best of luck this weekend, obviously. Yeah, um, appreciate that. Eastern Conference uh, game for you guys against NOLA, which is going to be a big one. Um, yeah, huge. Yeah. I think just the hit? way the Eastern Conference is going at the moment, it's extremely competitive. Stacked. So yeah. It's stacked. At any given day, it's anyone's game. So Yeah, 100%. 100%. Who, do, who do you boys have this weekend? We have San Diego down there. Okay, nice. So, so out. Um, is, that, is that a short short trip? A couple I, yeah, days I on think it? so, I think. Um, squad gets announced in the next day or two, and then cool. traveling squad will leave Saturday, um, game Sunday again. Nice, happy days. So, nice. Well, yeah, not all the best for that, and obviously the next couple of weeks until we see you boys again in May. Yeah, um, yeah, looking forward to that. Be for the Friday night lights game down in New York. So. Yeah, that'll be fun. Yeah, that'll be great. Looking forward to that. Um, 
Good stuff. All right, brother. Well, um, thanks again for the call. Awesome. I think everyone's going to appreciate, you know, roads less travelled. Yeah, for sure. No, thank you so much for having me. Um, yeah, when you hit me up a couple of weeks to come on, I was dead keen. And then, uh, yeah, really, really uh, excited to come on. And I appreciate you reaching out. Uh, really enjoyed that, H. Of course, mate. Good. We'll, um, we'll yeah, get you back sure. on later in the season as well. Yeah, no, that'd be great. I'd love that. Um, kind of see where we're at in a couple of weeks' time or a few months' time anyway. That's but, it. Uh, yeah, no, I appreciate it, mate. Thanks for getting in touch. All and right. I enjoyed that. And, yeah. No worries, mate. All Take right. care. Appreciate it, mate. All the best. Bye. Bye-bye.